0: Man, we're having mic issues today. That was my fault, not the back. I got to tell you the truth. I really wish I was wearing a lanyard right now to be one of those responsible people (laughs) because David wasn't, Uh, but that's all right. It's a good morning. Um, Welcome to the table of the Lord. Uh, This is a day uh, that has, that is both a moment and momentum. And I want us to recognize that for a second Today is a significant day, and we're not supposed to miss that. We've designed this service so that we can dwell on that. I loved the beautiful idea of having our new elders anointed in the auditorium, not up here on the platform. Because what I got to see was I got to see Tim and Julie Danley's huddle kind of migrate from over here over to begin to love on them. And I saw the the love of, of Slay and Dave Lynn and their campus group has when they were surrounding them. And I'm sure you saw that in kind of your neighborhood as well. As the church surrounded its leaders to reiterate its promise. And and at the end of the service, our our new elders, they're going to be back in the atrium. And and I want to invite you to go there and look them in the eye and tell them face to face the promise that we all made together, that we're going to pray for you and we're going to support you. We're going to hold up your arms when things are tough. We're here for you. That is important for new leaders to to experience. Today is a moment, but there's also momentum that is behind this day because every new elder can tell you story after story after story of someone in their life who made a difference. It was a shepherd that stepped into a time of crisis to provide hope and orientation. It was somebody that walked beside them as they wrestled uh, with doubt and and, and disinterest and and meaning of of what this all means. It was somebody that, that was beside them. Pointing them to what it means to be a shepherd and what it means to be an elder. Most new elders don't think like, yeah, this is what I'm really looking to do. They're called into it. But the reason that they're called into it is because they've already been engaging in those patterns and behaviors because it's been modeled for them. There's been a lot of momentum in this church that has led up to today. But there's also a lot of mental momentum that's going to carry us forward. I am proud of the fact that my three boys are going to grow up in a church where both men and women who are spiritually gifted serve as leaders in this place. I am proud of all of the young women that are going to grow up in this church seeing people like them hold offices of pastoral care. Today is a day of moment and momentum. And I want us to spend a little more time in the text that Richard introduced. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in John chapter 1. If you are able, please stand for the reading of the word. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1 through 19. Afterward, Jesus appeared to his disciples again by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter and Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw the fire burning, a uh, fire burning coals, and there was fish with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, "Bring some of the fish you have just caught." So Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, "Come and have breakfast." None of the disciples dared to ask him, "Who are you?" For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This is now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, then take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, "Son Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because he had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands. Someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, Follow me. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. This is an interesting story in in the, the Gospel of John because this is the miracle that doesn't fit. In the Gospel of John, you have, you have seven signs. In, in, in John, they really don't have miracles. It's signs. They point the way to who Jesus is, his divinity. It's the evidence of who the Jesus is, Messiah. And then there's those seven I ams, and there's this beautiful symmetry there. And then at the end of the book, there's this one, this miracle that doesn't fit. In fact, all of John chapter 21 is kind of this epilogue at the end of the book. If you read the, the section of Scripture that's right before this one, John gives us this musing that if you couldn't even fit all of the books if they contain the stories of Jesus in the world if we wrote them all down. And you realize at that point that, that John's not talking about just about the stories of the disciples, but he's talking about your stories and mine. And then it's almost as if John says in an epilogue, okay, well, maybe, maybe just one more. And this is a gentle story. Peter and his brothers are back in Galilee. It's the home of Jesus and the disciples. And all of the surprising, wonderful, and stimulating, the tragic events of Jerusalem are over. They're away from the city. And we are back in the ordinary, ordinariness of simple and daily life. And that that feels kind of like it feels when you, you go to lunch after church on the day of your baptism, And you have to wait at the line at Chili's, right? It feels like when you wake up the morning after your wedding. And your life at times, after those big moments, can be a bit boring, the waiting, the what's next. And it's kind of surprising that you can be bored after the end of a resurrection story. Yet, here we are. Everything has changed, but it's still just life. And so this, this miracle, this sign, it's not spectacular. It, 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 it falls flat if you think about it. There's no crowds to witness the event. There's no testimony to who Jesus is. This is not the wedding of Cana with its gallons of provision or the feeding of the 5,000 with its amazed crowds. It's just Jesus. Making sure his disciples and friends have a warm meal after a long night. It's a simple moment, Jesus caring for his people. But if we listen closely and we lean into the story, it sounds a lot like Cana. It sounds a lot like the feeding of the 5,000. It's peculiar and interesting that John's gospel doesn't contain the baptism of Jesus. There's no spirit that comes down like from a dove like in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's just not in John. There's also not a consecration of the Lord's Supper. There's no moment where he says, take this bread and break it. There's, those, don't, those aren't told in the story of John. Now, there's other things that lean toward it, allude for it, and there's also this way that John has this call back and forth. In John chapter three, in his conversation with Nicodemus, uh, Jesus mentions blood and water. And we don't see that phrase again until the crucifixion. And so, if you want to know what it means to be born again, it's not looking at the story of John 3, it's looking at the story of Jesus on the cross. And so, in this story, when Jesus chooses to feed his disciples fish and bread, we've heard that menu before. That menu was in John 6. When he feeds the 5,000, that's how he does it, with a little bit of fish and a little bit of bread and a whole lot of faithfulness from a child. And if you keep reading in John 6, the next story is when Jesus walks on water, and then he talks about bread, and he says, I am the bread of life. Now pay attention, because I think this is what Jesus is trying to say to Peter. All those the Father gives me will come to me, And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of the one who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, since I will raise them up at the last day. And I wonder if John's trying to say, put these two stories together. Tie them in your heart and in your mind. And then Peter does this odd thing in the story. He's been fishing all night. He's taken off his clothes. But the text tells us that he puts on his clothes and then jumps in which isn't what I would do if I was about to jump in the water. I'd be way more likely to take off my clothes to keep them dry. And they're only 100 yards off of shore. I think what I'd probably do is take them off and hold them above my head and jump in the water and swim until I can walk back to shore. Now, I might be wrong about this, but I wonder, did Peter expect to walk? And that's why he put on his clothes. And then Peter is asked the same question three times to the point that it's embarrassing and little hurtful it's not the origin story that you'd hope for when it was your call to leadership it's not like elijah or isaiah it's not the call origin story of samuel it's you kind of messed it up peter do you know that cuz you really messed it up do you realize that peter you betrayed the son of god you get that That's not how you want to tell the the story of, of your ordination day when you became an elder. And I think in our world, there's a lot of strategies and a lot of gurus and a lot of books about leadership, like how to lead like a CEO or how to go from good to great or how to be likable and how to influence others, how to always end on top. But the secret for us, the secret for the church is that we are ordained the way Peter is, And I love how Richard said this. We live into our story of redemption. That Jesus saved you. He redeemed you. He brings you back from wherever you were. And it's as personable and as universal as you could possibly imagine. That it happens to each of us individually, one-on-one, when Jesus looks us in the eye and says, do you love me? But it's also a common and shared experience that we all have shared. That Jesus has asked us all the same question. And it reminds us that our strength and our leadership doesn't come from a a place of resourceful strength, but utter transparency and honesty about who we are and what we need. And it's out of that redemption as origin story that we learn to live out what it means to be leaders in the kingdom. Jesus says, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. And it's really just three ways to say the same thing. Jesus, what Jesus is saying is that he needs leaders like Peter who jump out of boats and keep their eyes on Jesus, who grab the net and pull it in rather than wait for someone else to do the simple work. We need servant leaders. That Jesus needs leaders like Peter who are humble and who have been humbled by their mistakes and their betrayals, who know what it means to need grace more than air to know that the only place that they feel themselves is by Jesus' side. But to be a servant in the kingdom, we must know that Jesus meets us where we are. The leadership is sometimes crisis and calamity, but most of the time it's just boring daily work of showing up and feeding sheep. It's not an industry known for its exponential growth rates or exploitable efficiency margins. It's not where you go if you want to be known or seen or thought highly of feeding sheep. It's about taking care of those who can't take care of themselves. Lambs are very vulnerable in the world. And watching out for wayward people who lose sight of what is right and good is a thankless task. Laying down our lives in a dangerous vocation for those who want to save, protect, and preserve themselves. I mean, we're asked with the final question when Jesus says, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Feed them what? Well, Peter learns to feed them Jesus. Brothers and sisters, Welcome to the table of the Lord. On the night he was betrayed, twice, mind you, Judas isn't the only Judas in the bunch, Jesus took bread and broke it and said, this is my body, broken for you. And on the morning Peter was restored, Jesus again broke mysterious bread and simply said, feed my sheep, give them me. As we take communion today, there's going to be two cups that are stacked together. Take them both and hold them, and we will uh, take the elements together. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, for this time and this place, we are grateful. For this day that is both moment and evidence of momentum of decades of work, we give you thanks. We ask that you pour this, your spirit out on your church and fill us with your love. Give us Jesus. Give us Jesus. Let us draw close to him for nothing else matters. It is in the name of your son that we pray and the church says, amen.